Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, as a parent, I have come to terms with a very hard realization. What my kids want the most is not what they need the most. Uh, A few years ago, we had some students over at my house, and the student asked my daughter, what is your favorite food? To which she responded, cake. It's what every parent wants to hear their child say. I remember when my son was in preschool, we went to... Uh, his preschool to pick him up and on they had artwork on the walls and like questions about themselves and one of the questions was what was your favorite food I'm like I wonder what he put and I walk up and there it is and he said hot dogs we don't even eat hot dogs you know like once a year maybe like little did I know that was his favorite meal of the year you know like, oh, no, no, the answer is like mom's organic broccoli, right? You know, I don't know. We don't need organic. Well, you know what I'm saying? Something healthy. But no, I mean, in our house, vegetables, tonight, tonight we're having dinner, and Amy says to Nevaeh, you need to eat all those vegetables, because last time she acted like she was going to eat them. She got up, went to the trash, and <laughs> raked them into the trash. And so uh, she was on to her tonight. Because, why, why did she not want to eat her vegetables? Because she had a Chick-fil-A milkshake earlier, because that's what she really wants. Come on now, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so we've come to realization that what our kids need the most is not what they want the most. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget one time we were leaving our uh, small group at church. We are walking out of their house, and as we're walking out, uh, the, the member of the small group who was hosting said, asked one of our sons, what's your favorite toy? And I was kind of curious to see what he would say. You know what he said? TV. <laughs> no, son, no. Books. Books are your favorite, you know. Lego, something, not TV. Okay, here's the thing. We barely let our kids watch TV, you know. Like, I, I mean, but yeah, that's what, it's like, no, you, you, you use Legos to build TVs, you know. I don't know, but not, you know, you can't say that's your favorite toy. Oh, man. But if we let our kids have their way, maybe your parents would, were the same way. They, they would have uh, just spent all their life in front of screens, never gone outside, never read a book, right? But that's why we ration these things, because what they want the most is not what they need the most. But here's the facts. We're not much different. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what time do you go to bed? He went there. Is that because you think that's what's best for you? Is that why you go to bed when you do? Because you think that's what's best for you? Um, or let, here, here's another question. Uh, here's another question. How many days a week do you eat ice cream? <laughs> Zero. So, okay, so here's, here's the... At my house... For Amy and I, the answer is somewhere around six. That's give or take one, you know, margin of error one. And the re- but we wait till the kids are in bed because it wouldn't be healthy for them to have ice cream that much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's true. That's true. Um, how about uh, do you turn 
Do you silence your phone and turn it upside down when you study? Because that would be best for you, right? But what you need the most, you don't want the most. Okay, one more, one more, one more. Um, so I actually, I, I regularly wake up and go for a run in the morning. Uh, like this morning I went for a run. Um, but do you know how many mornings a week I wake up and want to go for a run? Approximately zero. You're right. You are right. Zero times a week. I never want to do what's best for me. And what we're going to see in the passage is that Jesus is actually going to tell us that it is true that what you need the most is not what you want the most. And that your greatest desire is not your deepest need. And so open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. If you are new to Chi Alpha, my name is Pete Bulette, and I have the joy of uh, directing Chi Alpha here, and, uh, and so it's my joy to bring God's Word to us uh, tonight. We are in a series through the Gospel of Mark called The Crown and the Cross that is going to teach us about Jesus and the nature of His kingdom. And the Gospel of Mark is a is, is like a track star's gospel, okay? It is fast. It, it's, it's Peter's gospel. Actually, no, true story. Okay, so Peter's on the track team over here. Um, can you raise your hand, Peter? Just, okay, that's Peter. Okay, he's on the track team. So um, here's the deal. It actually kind of is Peter's gospel because it is believed by church tradition that Peter is the one who, who, that this is a compilation of Peter's teachings that Mark recorded. And so that's why it's, it's so anyways, so it's a fast paced, quick hitting gospel. The pace of it can leave you breathless. The content of it can leave you speechless. There you go. Um, so I will, I, let me, let me say this before I get into the message. Uh, I heard a message on our, on our passage about 20 years ago, and it was so powerful for me. It, it deeply impacted my life. It was by a guy by the name of Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, and it, it was a moment for me. And so what I'm going to say tonight, if it's good, give Andy the credit, okay? Um, 20 years later, give him the credit, all right? Because um, a lot of what I'm going to say is some things I heard him say two decades ago. Let me set the stage for us as we um, started last week, the, the first chapter of Mark. What we saw is, is that Jesus shows up and he declares that the kingdom of God has arrived in him. Well, that's a pretty audacious claim. And then he goes about showing the rule and reign of God through his life. And so as we go through the rest of chapter one, we see this. We, we see him start to gather um, members of the kingdom and call disciples. And then he goes into this town by the name of Capernaum. And when he goes there, he meets a man who has impure spirits and he casts the impure spirits out of the guy. And then he starts to teach and people are like, we've never heard anyone teach like this. He had unparalleled authority. Then he goes over to Peter's house and his mother-in-law has a fever and he casts, or he doesn't cast, he heals the fever at, at, at uh, his, mother-in-law, his mother-in-law's fever. And then the word gets out about him casting out demons and healing people. And so then it says that uh, many people from all over the town start to gather and he casts out many demons and he heals many people. I mean, this is like a, that's all in one chapter. 
It is, things are starting to spread like wildfire. Jesus is becoming extremely popular. Then we hit chapter two. Jesus has left the town of Capernaum. Now he's coming back and we're gonna look at chapter two, verses one through 12. And here's what it says. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Okay, so Jesus has come back to Capernaum where he had done all these miracles and people had heard he'd come home. He was probably staying at Peter's house. So it's believed that what we're getting ready to read is at Peter's house. Peter opens his house to hospitality and we're gonna see what happens when you practice hospitality, okay? They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. And even outside the door, uh, and, and even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Okay, so here's what happens. Peter's opened his house. Jesus is in the house. People are gathering around. They hear that the miracle worker, the teacher has arrived. And so they want to hear what he has to say. And so it's standing room only. You can imagine they're all crowded in there. It's probably hot and sweaty. And, but they can't, they're hanging on his every word. Verse three, some men came bringing with him a a paralytic man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the man on a mat that he was lying on. Okay, so here's what happens. Some buddies who have this friend who, who lived a very difficult life, he was paralyzed. It means he lived on a mat, we don't know. He was likely a beggar in that day. He was a person who probably needed people to help him with his, his basic needs. And this friend is like, Jesus, the miracle worker is in town. Man, this could be your day. And so he grabs his friends. They grab their friend that, that is paralyzed and they go to take him to Jesus. They show up and the place is packed. They're probably trying to, you know, work their way in with the with, with the the stretcher and there's like "Ah, we're not getting in and then one guy's like dude you see those steps on the side of the house like yeah what are you thinking are you thinking what I'm thinking (laughs) um like let's do it so they go up on because in this day houses would have steps on the exterior and they would go up on the roof where they'd often be a, a place for social time watch the sunset whatever okay they go up there and they're like, let's dig through the roof. You think, oh my, this is an intense core group. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're like, my, my core group buddy is going to get to Jesus. And we all need a core group like that. Like when you can't get to Jesus, they're gonna, they're gonna drag you there, okay? They're gonna help you get there. So they're like, let's do it. So in this day, a roof wasn't a roof like ours, of course. But it was, it was like a mixture of mud and thatch and sticks that would, that would be layered on these beams that would run the width of the house and they would, they would form and it would harden, it form like a cement, okay? And then if you're wealthy, you would put tiles over that. And so they're up there and all of a sudden, they're like, I think Jesus would have been like right about here. And so they start pounding, you know, and scraping and clawing and, and 
kicking and trying to get through the, the dried mud and, and all of a sudden, you know, like they pull the first piece off and like light shines through and you can imagine what it was like in the house. I mean, they weren't an old cowboy. They were like nested, uh, you know, up, up against Jesus and, and, you know, there's like dirt falling and twigs and how many people know at this point the sermon's over? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're like, uh, whatever Jesus was teaching, they're not listening anymore probably, right? And so... You can kind of picture Jesus looking up, some light coming through, and then, you know, it gets bigger and bigger. And now the guys are peering over, yeah, it's right over Jesus, you know. And then it gets so large that they drop the guy down the hole in the roof. I mean, imagine what it's like to be that guy. He's like looking up at his buddies and they're like, oh, this is perfect, you know. <laughs> lowering him down and then he like he's like coming he's like at eye level of Jesus he looks over and hey <laughs> you know everybody is like what are they doing okay so everybody knows why the guy has been lowered down right but what is Jesus going to do what's Jesus going to do Let's see what happens. Verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Okay. Um, Imagine what that guy must have felt. He's like hanging there on on the mat. And Jesus says, looks at him. He sees, Jesus sees their faith. Jesus sees his faith. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy's like, okay, great. Hey guys, uh, I guess you can pull me up. My sins are forgiven. I mean, it's kind of awkward. I mean, everybody knows why he's there. It's like, oh, great, my Sins are forgiven. Yeah, I kind of picture Peter. He's like probably livid. They just tore a hole in his roof, right? And he's like, Jesus, they didn't tear a hole in my roof so he could have his sins forgiven. I don't think that's why they're here. And then of course the religious people, they hear this and they are, they're beside themselves. Let's let's see what they say in verse six. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, they were just thinking this. How does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, only God can forgive sins. Who is he to say that he can forgive sins? I mean, like, who does he think he is? Does he think he's like God? I mean, doesn't he know that people get stoned for blasphemy, things of that nature? I mean, who do you think you are? And it's this uncomfortable moment. The guy is still suspended. The religious leaders are angry. The crowd is disappointed. The friends are disappointed. And it says in verse eight, immediately, in the midst of this tension, Jesus knew in his spirit what those religious leaders were thinking. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say this to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. 
So Jesus asks the question, like, which is easier? Okay, he's not saying which is easier to say. He's saying, like, which is easier to do? Like, what is the greater feat here? Like, what, which would be harder to do for me to say this person's sins are forgiven or for me to heal this man and have him stand up and walk? Which one is easier to do? Because what Jesus is getting ready to say and what he's getting ready to do is this. He's getting ready to show them that what this man thought he wanted the most was not what he needed the most. But he had a deeper need that was more profound, that was, that was more important than his physical need. And he's going to put him in touch with that reality. Okay, here's what we need to understand. Jesus is not treating this guy's plight in some insensitive way. We're going to see what Jesus does. And what Jesus does, I believe he always knew he was going to do. But he uses this as an opportunity to teach a very important and powerful truth that I need and that you need to know. And that is this, that our deepest need is not always what we think we need the most. That what we want the most is not what we need the most. And so he says... Son, your sins are forgiven. And he asked the question, which is harder to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, take your mat, and walk. See, here's the problem with forgiveness. The problem is, how do you know you're forgiven? Like, Jesus can say, but how do we know? Like, if he says to the paralyzed man, be healed, we'll, like, know if it happens or not. But how can you tell if the guy was really forgiven well Jesus says okay you wonder verse 10 he says this but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins so he said to the man I tell you get up take your mat and go home okay here's what Jesus is doing the Bible teaches this the Bible teaches That when sin entered the world, that sin had tremendous ramifications in the world, destructive ramifications in the world. That all suffering and all sickness and illness and disease is a result of sin. That all brokenness and death is a result of sin entering into God's good and glorious world. That's what the Bible teaches And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to say, so you know that I have authority to forgive sins. I'm going to show you by taking away the consequences of sin that are being expressed that are in the world, but are impacting this person. And so that you know that I have the power to forgive sin, I'm going to show you I have the power to remove sin's consequences. So I say to you, get up. Take your mat and walk. And the guy gets up, takes his mat, and he walks out. Verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in view of them all. And this is what it says. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What Jesus was doing is he was giving them a sign that he had authority to forgive sins by dealing with the the 
brokenness that sin brings into the world. But he wasn't just wanting to show that he had the deal, the, 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 the ability to deal with sin at this level, but he had the ability to go to the very root and bring forgiveness of sin into somebody's life. He wants not just to be this guy's healer, he wants to be this guy's savior. Here's the, the facts. If we were to talk about our priorities in life, our priorities would probably look a lot like this. I got them up here. Probably we would start with like health. We want good health. I mean, everybody uh, wants good health and probably you'd, you want good health till like you're 100, you know, and then, you know, you go for a run, you eat a nice meal, you lay down for a nap and then you meet Jesus, right? That's how we hope. When that, and, and on the same day that your spouse does too, right? You know, you both have that nice meal and you both, you know, just... Go to meet Jesus with a full stomach after a nice run, you know, on a beautiful day. That's, that's what we hope for, right? Are we, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like we want health. And then secondly, we'd say prosperity. Like, you know, we want, we want a good job that will make good money, hopefully, because we'd like to travel a little bit. We'd like to have some nice stuff, maybe. And, you know, be able to enjoy, have some comfort, you know, be able to keep drinking those Starbucks, you know, and whatever. You know, like we want some, some comfort in life, some nice things in life. And so, you know, we want some certainty, too, because if something happens, you got a little money, you can like cause some, you know. So we want some prosperity. And then next we want companionship. Like we want somebody to do life with. And, you know, we think if we have the second one, that may help us with the third one, you know, like, because anyways, that, but, <laughs> you know, if you, anyways, um, and then, and then we want people to esteem us. Like we want a respectable job. You know, we want to have a respectable company on our business card with a respectable title where people are like, ooh, wow, look at that, wow, yeah. And, you know, we want to get into a respectable school, you know, so you start praying these prayers like, Lord, if you let me, if you let me in, then I'll, I'll serve you. And, you know, like you're, you're trying to barter and because, because this is a lot what, our, I mean, let's be honest. If you looked at your prayer list of like for your life and for people in your life, like would it look a lot like that? Because the, this is what we think that we, we need the most. But, the, but what we want the most may not be what we need the most. Because the problem is, here's the problem, is forgiveness rarely makes our list. And Jesus comes, go ahead. Jesus comes, he, he puts right at the top. He says, actually, your greatest need, your greatest priority is forgiveness. And here's the problem. Here's the reason why forgiveness is not typically on our list. And here, here's, here it is. Is because we don't think our sin is that bad. We have, we don't have a low view of sin. But when you read the Bible, here's what you discover. You discover that sin is rebellion against a good and glorious God. It's hostility. You discover that <clears throat> The sin enslaves you. And, and not, not only enslaves you, but it corrupts you. And it pollutes you at the very core. 
And as a result, it causes you to deserve wrath. And, and, and not only that, but, but sin's impact on your life and on, on those around you as it leads to brokenness. We heard about that already tonight. It leads to pain. It leads to evil and sickness and injustice. And the reason why forgiveness isn't on our list is because we don't wrestle with our own depravity and we also don't deal with the gravity of our sin on ourselves and on those around us and in the world. And so as a result, it's often not on our list. And Jesus' point is this, that, that your primary, your deepest, your most urgent, your most important need is to, to have sin removed, that that which stands between you and your heavenly father so you can be restored into relationship with your heavenly father so you can be who he always intended you to be so you can step into all that he has for you and be who he wants you to be in relationship with him and so that the brokenness that sin wants to perpetuate on your life can start to lose its hold so the enslavement can start to lose its hold and so that you can be set free in fact let me give you a definition of forgiveness I just wrote it today but let me give you a a definition that kind of pulls it together forgiveness is receiving the embrace of the incomparable riches of God's grace It's having your soul saturated in God's love. It's receiving the life of the spirit. It's having hope. An eternal hope in Jesus. And so Jesus is not content just healing this man's body. He wants to heal this man's soul. And he says, oh, Yes, I know why he's here. I'm not as dumb as you think I am. I know why he's here. But I want you to know that what looks like his deepest need, that there's a need even deeper still. That what he wants the most is not what he needs the most. And he uses this. Yes, he heals the man and he shows him the love and compassion. But he also wants to put everyone in the crowd in touch with the reality that they all have a need that's deeper than their physical bodies. And it's a need for forgiveness. As I was preparing this, this time, I was thinking about the persecuted church. You know, there, we have alum on the mission field all over the world. And many of them serve in places that when people embrace Christ, they actually enter into suffering. Uh, We have some people on the mission field that have seen people come to Christ who've been kidnapped because they became followers of Jesus. They have been disowned. Their wives have left them. They have been tortured. And I was thinking, go back to the uh, list of our priorities, if you will. I I was thinking, if if our list was health, prosperity, companionship, and esteem, they lost all of those things when they started following Jesus, right? 
They, they were being tortured. They lost their jobs. They lost their family. They were disowned. And now people treat them with contempt. And why in the world would somebody embrace that would actually cause the list to go down? Why would they do that? Because they know that their deepest need has been met. Their most important, their most urgent need has been met. And they are living in the embrace of the incomparable riches of the grace of God. They are living with a soul saturated in God's love. They're living the new life of the spirit. They have a hope that is eternal. And as a result, you can take away that list, but don't, you can't touch the top one. And they will still worship at the name of Jesus. The persecuted church can clarify for us what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell a story and then we'll close. Um, I heard a professor, Daryl Johnson, a seminary professor who is also a pastor, share this story. When Daryl was a pastor, he had a CEO come to visit him whose life was a mess. The CEO was only there, he wasn't a, a, a follower of Jesus, he was only there because his wife made the appointment and he agreed to go. But his, he was physically a mess, he had maladies that were um, very disruptive for him. He was emotionally distraught, he was spiritually untethered, and he was an addict. And so as Daryl was meeting with this man. He said, for whatever reason, I just felt like God put Mark chapter two on my heart. And so, I, so he read the story we're talking about tonight to this guy. And when he said that Jesus had said, your son, your sins are forgiven, the CEO's response was, well, good for that man. And then he said, you have no idea all that I have done. And Daryl said, well, well, try me. He said, oh, you don't have enough time. You, you don't know how much I've done. And Daryl said, you're right, I, I don't. He said, but, but why don't you tell me? He, and the guy said, I don't have time. Well, Daryl, as a good pastor, said, well, why don't you write it down? And then bring it by sometime. And I'll read it, and I'll tell you if it was too much for Jesus to forgive. Well, like a good CEO would, three days later on legal paper, he brought six pages full of sins that he remembered. Daryl said it was full of people he'd cheated in business, people he had stolen from, hotels where he had used prostitutes, And Daryl read it all. He said it was gut-wrenching. But after he finished reading it, he stood up and he took those six pages and he said, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he started ripping up those six pages. He said, my, he said, Jesus says, my son, 
Your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And he said it over and over and over. And the CEO began to cry and cry and cry. And Daryl went over and embraced him and he just kept saying, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And that day, that CEO placed his faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that man had to confess to his wife all that he had done and she graciously stayed with him. He had to make some things right of people that he had wronged. But Daryl said that man was never the same. In fact, a few years later, this man's wife called Daryl as this man was dying and said, he has a request for you. I'm going to put him on the phone. And Daryl said he got on the phone and he could barely speak, but he said this, say it again. And so on the phone, Daryl started to repeat it. I knew what he was talking about. And I just said, Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And in that line is the beginning of the life-shaping, world-changing gospel. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. I want to ask the band to come up quietly. If you're here tonight, Please focus on me during this moment. If you're here tonight and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, never never allowed him to forgive your sins, never trusted him with yourself, then I want to encourage you, tonight can be your night. That here's, here's what you do. You turn to Jesus with eyes of faith and you trust him. You repent of your sin and you make him your king. That's it. You just turn to him, place your trust in him and make him your king. Because you have a need that's more profound than anything on the list. You have a need that goes to the very core. It's the most urgent, most important need of your life and my life. And that is that what stands between us and the Heavenly Father would be removed and we could be restored to who we're intended to be. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. My son, 
Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And there's people in here who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And can I just tell you, this truth can never grow old in our heart. Here's what I found. Here's what I found. The more I grow in Christ, the more aware I am of my need for grace. Not the less aware, the more aware, the more I grow, the more I'm like, oh man, am I a sinner who needs a savior? Oh man, do I need to be lavished in the grace of God? And so here's what I would say. We don't ever outgrow this message. We just become more familiar with it. We've come to value it more. We come to cling to it more. The Bible says this, we start by grace and we end by grace and all the way through it's by grace. We are like little children holding on to the to our, our parents' legs as we clasp and grab onto grace. My child, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that good news? We stand saying, How can you say such a thing? I think the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection will answer that one. If you've never followed Jesus, I encourage you tonight to place your trust in Jesus. He wants to meet the deepest need of your life. So Lord, if there's anyone here tonight who wants to, for the very first time, place their trust in you and make you their king. I pray that they would hear you say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven as they look to you in faith. In Jesus' name. For the benediction tonight, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace as you know that he has met your deepest need. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.